0: What I'm doing, like when I talk to musicians and like backstage, and I talk to people out in the music world, like oh man, I love Bullet,
1: and I'm like they they just <laughs> and you're like here we go, buddy, yeah, strap in, <laughs>
2: Yeah.
3: it it how much time you, you got ready buddy. for this? Get ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> <And> they're just <laughs>
1: here's here's a here's a whiskey lesson you didn't ask for. <laughs> That's where Fred goes. Well, I
2: love Nickelback, so thanks for coming, guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. Well, here we are. It's another month and another bourbon community roundtable. And we've got a great list of topics here in store for number 73. And the first, well, it's stickers. I know it seems like we talk about them all the time, but it's now gotten pretty serious a Louisville bourbon club and Louisville liquor store chain has been sued by Bob Baffert for almost $70,000 over a sticker, and yes, they paid up. So now, have we gone too far with stickers? And every year it seems like there are a few acquisitions that happen. Recently, we've seen Heaven Hill acquire Samson & Pritzker buys Sound Bourbon Company, and last year we saw MGP purchase Luxco. These were all strategically different plays. So what do we think makes a good acquisition target in today's market? And following on that last question, those were all very high-dollar buys. Is this a trend that we will see continue, or is there a chance that smaller brands on the upswing could be gobbled up as well? With that, enjoy this week's episode, and now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char.
0: I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Ronald Ungwitter, I hope I said that right, who writes us at uh, podcast at bourbonpursuit.com. He's a Patreon member. Uh, how and where would you store a bottle of several bourbons you did not want to drink for several e- several years? Can you bury it in a five-gallon pail with a lid, hide it in the basement, and hope that for your kids do not find out? You know what, Ronald? You sound a lot like me. By the way, my my real name, my first name is Ronald, so shout out to you for the real, my real name club. I am, uh, I am guilty of hiding stuff from myself. And I, for the longest time I, I was hiding, uh, I was hiding bourbon in like some of these, some of these Tupperware, these large, uh, Tupperware vats that just kind of got lost in the basement, hit off in the corner next to like some old duffel bags from my military days. And Uh, my wife's paperwork for her doctorate and things. And it just kind of set back there and we redid the basement and I pulled them out and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about this bottle. I mean, we're talking about stuff I bought 10, 12, 15 years ago, even some wine. Uh, There was a little bit of a a, a little uh, cognac from 1906 that I had bubble wrapped and hid away because I knew that if that shit was near me, I would drink it. And I was I was fascinated with all these things. It was kinda like a time capsule. And I had all these signed bottles from Jim Rutledge. I don't know what it was, but I had all of these Jim Rutledge signed bottles. I still have them, by the way, and they still remain hidden. But yeah, I I think that if you are if you are having to protect bourbon from yourself and you wanna keep it, hang on to it for a special time or sell it later on at an auction, you know, there's there's also storage units. You can get storage units that have climate control. Uh, but basements are a really good place. Basements are a good place to uh, to keep your stuff. And you kind of hit the nail on the head. Get one of those Tupperware uh, boxes, you know, that have a lid on it, you can get pretty airtight. A couple of things that you wanna you wanna make sure is you wanna make sure you have something that's waterproof because even though you know the basement is secure and all that, it can always flood. That can always happen. Uh, you also want something that rodents can't get in. Not saying that you keep a dirty house or you have any rodents near you, but um, rodents like to chew on cork. So if you're ever looking at uh, an old vintage bottle and you see where the where the tack strip has been. Looks like it has just been punctured just a little bit and there's a little bit taken out. Uh, there's a few things that you can look for to make sure that, you know, mice like to look uh, and taste the cork. So you want to kind of get it in a, in a set up where nothing's going to get into the cork and tamper with it. But yeah, I mean, if you got to hide stuff from yourself, you can also have your spouse or a friend hide it for you. Just hope that uh, they don't drink it and hide it in their belly. But that's going to do it for this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Ronald, hit us up on Patreon. Become a Patreon member
1: and write us at podcast at bourbonpursuit.com. Until next week, cheers. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof, It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Hello, everybody. We're back with another Bourbon Community Roundtable, and we have got a packed house. The full gang's here tonight, and Fred, it's good to see you again because me and Ryan, we thought we were going to have to kick you off here because you you missed like the past 42 of them.
0: I know. I know. I have uh, not been doing uh, my due diligence here at Bourbon Pursuit, but all the travel and family stuff, you know, and then, I mean, that and we've had, oh my God, we've had so many issues with daycares, you know, we have a pediatrician who's up for trying to kill her husband i mean we just had so many weird <laughs> that's a true so, story by
1: the way hey, so much i had, I
0: had weird the same pediatrician <laughs> oh it's just so much weird shit in the past like six months for us
1: i was like uh just tell me who that pediatrician is and i'm gonna make sure we do not go there well oh, she, she don't need she's to do in that federal
0: prison right now so i don't think <laughs> yeah. that's gonna happen you
1: know uh, you guys can pick them that's, <laughs>
3: that's all we can say it's about as good as your barrel picks That's what happens when when two bourbon podcasters pick a pediatrician for their kids.
1: (laughs) Uh, It's just part of the process. Right. Yeah. It's just like that bad barrel, but you don't want it to be bad. You're like, ah, just keep it in the bunch. It'll be fine. But That's right. No, it it was a bad barrel. That's what it came down to. It'll
0: get better eventually. You know? <laughs>
3: yeah. not, there's not enough toasting to save that one.
0: <laughs> oh, but the double toasting, however, <laughs> yeah.
3: with, the, with the port
1: finish, that's where it's at. Just a gallon of port. <laughs> that's right. Oh, man. Let's go ahead. And let's, uh, let's kind of kick it off around the table here so you know all three of us were here. But Brian from Zippin' Corn, how are you, buddy?
5: Yeah, doing good. It was good to see Eric in person last weekend. And now we got him on this. So I'm I'm excited for this one with our third wheel from breaking. But uh yeah, Brian was sipping corn and everyone knows where to find me. Thanks for having me on again.
1: For sure. And he, he stole my thunder there, but there you go. Eric from Breaking Bourbon, the the mystery man, the the third wheel, the I don't want to say third wheel, the the, the, <laughs> that was like the masked man. The third leg. The third leg.
4: Yeah, the behind-the-scenes man, I guess. There you go. The, Eric. the
1: secret weapon.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, I, I was brought up from the minor leagues for this episode, so I'm I'm excited to be here.
2: Well, good don't deal. Stir it up.
4: <laughs> You're yeah. doing better than Blake, so.
1: <laughs> as long as your mic works, you'll do okay. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> well, there we go. Blake, go ahead and quick intro.
2: Yep, I'm Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. You know, always fun to be here. Always fun to keep the streak alive, no matter how bad that audio quality is. So, thanks again.
1: <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, let's go ahead and let's let's dive into it because we've got a we've got a, some really good topics tonight. And one that came out, I think it was two weeks ago, and we didn't talk about it between Ryan and I until last week's this week in Bourbon. But this is the one that we've I, I don't know we've talked about it for. God knows how long you'd on the roundtable or the podcast in general about just the sticker craze. And this is probably the one that is the most recent debacle that I remember when this sticker came out and it garnered headline attention from usatoday.com. And I even put out a tweet and I said, is this is when stickers, is this going to go too far? And lo and behold, not more than, I don't know, a few months later. You start seeing some more news articles come out, and so here's what it is. I'll just give you the background for anybody that's been hiding under a rock for the past two weeks. So the Louisville Bourbon Club, they created a limited-edition sticker that was placed on pinhook bourbon bottles, and the sticker pokes fun at Hall of Fame horse racing racing trainer Bob Baffert, who was suspended from Churchill Downs and the New York Racing Association after his 2021 Kentucky Derby-winning horse Medina Spirit failed a drug test. The label reads, Bobby's Secret Horsey Stuff, and that's a play on Mike's secret stuff from the 96 film Space Jam. And it depicts Baffert holding a syringe. The text next to the depiction of Baffert reads, just let old Uncle Bobby blend you up a batch of that good, good stuff. However, terms of the settlement included that Cox's and Evergreen Liquors, they have a seasoned assist from further production of the bottles, and that all remaining bottles, as well as more than $18,000 received from the bottle sales, be sent to Baffert. Additional terms of this settlement included formal apology letters uh, from the companies be sent to Baffert along with legal fees he'd incurred and a donation of $50,000 to go towards three thoroughbred racing charities. Now, before we talk about stickers and everything like that, I feel that it would, you know, we we have a lawyer on here. I feel we should talk about the legal aspect of this and and kind of talking about, you know, there's a a, a lot of conversations that will come up and saying, if this was in the New Yorker, Would this have ever happened? Is this still a play on parody? So, Brian, I'd kind of want to get your your thoughts on this from a legal perspective of of where did this actually you know, of course it settled outside of court, but could this have gone further and what could have gone either way?
5: Yeah, it's it's the great way to look at it is is parody and parody is allowed. I mean, you can you get to make fun of people, and in fact, part of the First Amendment is to allow us to parody people or to make fun of them and and do those sorts of things. And the case I remember from law school was, was Hustler Magazine versus Falwell. And they just had some scathing uh, cartoons about Falwell, and they got sued and went all the way to the US Supreme Court. You get to do this sort of thing, but the, what it really, the reality that it gets to is could Cox's and could the Bourbon Group fund a defense against someone who has the resources that Baffert does. And that's a reality in all kinds of litigation. And my guess is that here it just it wasn't gonna be worth fighting it, even if you did have a decent defense that you could assert. Maybe you don't win on it, but you've got a defense that you could assert. But you know, do you do you wanna do that? Do you wanna spend however many tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars it would take to fight Baffert?
0: Yeah. But but because there was a commercial aspect to it, doesn't that change the the First Amendment allowance from from being free speech to then you know kind of a commercial endeavor?
5: Uh, not always, and just like in the Hustler case, I mean, it's it's a commercial enterprise there for sure, and, uh, and it was set part of selling those magazines, and that didn't that didn't stop the U.S. Supreme Court from allowing that kind of parody.
4: Mm.
3: Yeah, because you watch a show like The Simpsons or something, you know they do this stuff all the time, or you know South Park or something. Right, yeah, is it? Uh, it's like, I guess I'm just trying to understand how it, it even got to that point where I, I don't know. I, I, it just seems like it's. Is there something because they're selling something that makes it like more? More plausible to, have, or more, I'm looking for the right word, but yeah, <laughs> we no, can tell I, Ryan did not go to law yeah, school. There we go. I did not go to I, <laughs> that, I gloss that over when I get those documents. So. No,
5: that concept comes into play all all sorts of times when you're, you know, when you're using something for a commercial enterprise. You know, are you trying to make money on it? That that is something you do look at in a lot of other things. But the Simpsons are making money too on on ad revenue. So. That's not the issue here.
0: The but issue that's, here but is, that, but that's that's a that's media. Like even even Hustler, uh, which you could argue is not media, but you know it is. Uh, that that's still a form of, of of speech. Like they they're creating something. You know, Ford Ford is not you know outfitting their their trucks to look like you know Alan Jackson or something like they would license. Alan Jackson, you know, to use his name and likeness, and I and I think that's 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 the difference here. It is that name and likeness is being used, and also like a, a photographer, so you know that he that Baffert probably had, you know, rights to that photo. Um, was was copied and illustrated, and that's that's quite a bit different than say if I were when I was editor in chief of Burn Plus. If I were to take that and put it in a magazine, that that's a lot different. Like there's 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 First Amendment organizations that would that support a magazine, at the same as like a TV shows, you know. But there's not there's not free speech, or, or speech is not you know customary in selling whiskey. I mean, it's advertising's there, sure, but like doing parodies is not customary in selling whiskey. So I think. I personally think that's probably why this one kind of stood out. By the way, Penhook and Caucus Creek got more advertising out of this than they ever would have uh, for $50,000. You know, They got way more advertising out of this than if, than if they would have dropped $50,000 in a newspaper. So they probably had that in mind as well when they were fighting it.
1: Uh, maybe. And I guess the question that I'd have for you, Brian, is that let's say that Coxes and evergreens they did want to fight this now if they spent a hundred thousand dollars in lawyers and litigation fees i mean for them that would that would basically be money out of their pocket right so they actually seems like they come out better by just going ahead and just paying whatever they want just to get this settled is it i'm I'm trying i've never had to go and fight something in court that hard to know that like if i lose or if i win what happens yeah, it's it's a tough decision. I mean, there
5: are and there's some regular suspects here who do this time and time again, but the there are well-funded distilleries that for example on trademark, if you if you are a startup distillery and you get close to the line on anything, you'll get the cease and desist and you end up changing your name slightly so that you're not even though if you think you could win there's no way you can fight those distilleries and here there's no way Coxes could fight um, there that's that's throwing money away even if you could win the case and here there's issues about defamation for sure so you're gonna you're gonna run into that um, you know which is 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 Bafford a public figure enough that you can say things about him you know you're getting in you're getting into issues like malice against him I mean that's a really long expensive fight that they would be paying for. And here, if you can get out for the 18 plus the 50 and get all the press, I mean, that's that's a good deal, frankly.
1: Good to know. Good to know. So there you go. Uh, there's advertising and legal advice from Brian. There you go. Not legal advice. <laughs> Not <that good>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, true. Not legal advice. Not legal advice. So now that we've we've kind of got that, that portion out of the way, I kind of want to look at this, and, and we can all probably agree that this sticker might have Gone a little too far, but I know Ryan that you've mentioned when we talked about this, saying, Gosh, like when you looked at the Riff Patino sticker, that was probably worse than this one, and this didn't even make it to that level.
3: Yeah, that's what I was shocked about the whole thing. That I felt like that one was way worse. It had Kevin Ware in a wheelchair on it, you know, it had Katina Powell and all the just all the debauchery that was going on at the time that the, that university was on a label, and you think. Gosh, if you're ever going to defame someone, it's Rick Pitino and the University of Louisville. You know, and it really just got an article about. That's why I was surprised to see. I guess Baffert's just you know a little bit more aggressive, and Pitino probably didn't give a shit. You know, probably didn't even know what happened.
1: (laughs) He's probably like, "Yeah, that was me. That's my bad." (laughs) (laughs) He's got a case of those bottles.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I guess
1: the the question kind of kind of goes is that you know should this be the end of stickers? Is this something that we should look at and say? Is this is this taking it too far that we should, you know, band together and say, I think this is probably where we really draw the line, or is it just a wake up call for a lot of people to say, you know what? Like if you're gonna do this, you need to be doing it with good intention because you know what the adverse effects could be.
0: I, I think absolutely, I absolutely think that you you should have um, you, you should be mindful of that. Like we've seen a lot of, you know, I've seen stickers using Batman. I don't. I haven't seen anyone using like Mickey Mouse, but you know, I'm telling you, if somebody used Mickey Mouse, Disney would find it and they would come after you. Like, I think you just gotta be careful of what trademarks that you use and, and how you use them. Because those, a lot of that stuff has, entity and everyone can play like social media lawyer and say, well, it's, you know, I bought it, I can do whatever I want with it, blah, 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 blah. But uh, Baffert just proved that that's not the case, and and you know Brian's given the the very giving the definition of, of what today's legal terms is is like whoever has the biggest war chest, you know is most likely to win. And I don't know just think about that, you know when you're when you're making these stickers, they're fun. I mean, I still get a kick out of seeing some of them, but um, just be careful.
2: Yeah, I, I think you got to look at like who it's hurting as well. When that first came out with all the Baffert stuff, Pinhook was taking some heat and they had zero knowledge of it, no, no clue what was going on. And so we I think they're the distilleries and brands are the ones pushing back because they usually are the first ones that people point to and say, Oh, look what they did. It's like, whoa, 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 we had nothing to do with this. It was a store. And so, you know, thankfully in this one, Pinhook didn't have to pay anything or be a part of the apology, nothing like that. But I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, it just maybe people should have a little more uh, common sense when it comes to certain things. I don't love stickers, but I'd hate to lose them completely because, you know, there are some that are funny. It's just like you think through it a little bit, how it can affect the public perception of the brand or distillery you're picking f- from and then go from there. But everybody wants to push that line. so.
1: Well, I'll I'll take this since you're technically a retailer. So you know we've got a we've got a new Rift barrel pick coming up. That's a uh, you know could be coming from a, a seal box kind of time or something like that. So let's say we go and do a new riff pick, and all of a sudden Ryan and I would put some sort of uh, not so PC type of sticker on it. It comes back on you, Blake. What what kind of action do you take?
2: we actually go and we fight is, you know, I fight the picker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a royale, like fight to the death.
2: Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, there's really nothing I can do. I can be mad at you. I can say, we're not going to pick again. I can say, but what am I going to do at the end of the day? So we've always taken the approach. We're not going to put anything on the bottle because that gets into all kinds of other things. Um, And then just, you kind of look at it and say, all right, if we're just going to put this in the box, we have to at least somewhat agree with it. You know, we may not be fully uh, agreeable on exactly what the sticker is, but as long as we're not offended by it, we'll do it. But yeah, that's a tough one. It, it's it's like you want groups to be able to have their fun to do whatever they want, but it can reflect poorly on the retailer as well. So, and it sounds like they were the ones that caught were caught in the crosshair here on the uh, Baffert thing. So
0: so there there's a recent case uh in in the shoe world the the, the you, you see a lot of alterations in shoes like Nike you know Jordans and so forth uh little Naz came did something with shoes and and Nike I believe it was Nike sued him and I think they won but he he like added some blood or some material that was like blood in the in there and was and was reselling them and was making the argument that it was his like custom uh art artistic work so i i think that this is a this is an issue that's not just happening in um in this space and the manufacturer i would say has more of the liability than uh than the retailer because you know that's whose face is on on the brand but i don't i don't know i i think that this is an issue that is definitely not going to go away and at some point, there will be someone who will contest this at a level. And I would say Baffert may even get another parody sticker. He may get another parody sticker with someone with the with the war chest ready to fight him. You know, and that's what Maker's Mark discovered with their red dripping wax. They, everybody kowtowed to them. And then uh, one day, Jose Cuervo had enough money to go to court with them all the way to appeals, and they lost. But... I, I don't I don't think this is the end of what we're going to see of stickers in, in the news, and we're definitely seeing a lot of this outside of the whiskey world.
1: I don't think you're going to see a lot of people with the war chest that's going to go ahead and take on Bob Baffert. And by the way, even before we got started, my wife said, y'all, don't fuck up and think, say anything stupid that Bob Baffert's going to come after you. So I said... You got it, so make sure we. we <laughs>
0: well, I mean, keep it cool. we'll try our best, but uh, <laughs> yeah. that
2: next that next new roof sticker is uh, you know him suing somebody. So, well, yeah.
0: we, uh, we are we are a free speech platform here, though, Kenny, and uh, we believe in America. <laughs> Not I really, like
1: Bob Batford sends a cease and desist. I don't think so. Yeah. I really like Bob. I think he that's
0: uh, by the way that's uh, defaming him right there by assuming that he would send a cease and desist versus a
1: thank you. Well, you you know. if that happens. You're gonna mix in the next five roundtables. <laughs> but Eric, you've been a little quiet. I kind of want to get your your thoughts on this here too.
4: Uh, you know, it's it's kind of been the wild west for stickers for the last couple of years. You know, there isn't a real set way of doing them and how to do them and you know what where the line is. So, you know, it takes a case like this where somebody does something that's a little beyond the PC. You know, pushing, you know, making fun of cartoon characters and movies is one thing, but then, you know, kind of very specifically, you know, on a public figure or something like that. Now you're pushing it a little bit more. So now, you know, now there's a little bit of, all right, where the, where is the line? And now we're kind of seeing maybe where, where, where the line is a little softly drawn right now. So it's going to take more of these cases. Now there's more eyeballs either way. So you're going to have people maybe doing more of these to try to define that line a little more, push it you know, or people going against, oh, you know, let, let's, let's push it the other way. Let's, you know, let's try to prevent these and try to keep these as, you know, PC as possible. Let's keep these fun. Let's not try to go overboard. Yeah. I, I'd be interested to even
1: see if, I don't know, you look at groups like 1789B and some other ones that have been around for a while. They, they've never done stickers. They've never turned around and did it. I think it was one of those things that a lot of people saw the, the fad and kind of jumped on which were most, we were were part of that train as well. We jumped on the fad and did it for our picks. Personally, I wouldn't mind seeing this kind of taking a a slowdown and a turn because when we look at barrel picks and the way that people are purchasing them and the way that at least that it seems online on some Facebook groups is that you dip something in wax, you have a funny sticker, you have an army toy on top, and then all of a sudden people are jumping out of the woodwork for some pick that nobody's ever heard of before. And I would love to be able to see it get back to the point where it's just on the name. You know, it's a a 1789 B pick. It's a Julio's or Lock and Key pick. It's one of those that have, you know, it carries some weight next to it. And it's just not because it's a funny sticker on the back. But I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way.
5: Now, I'm wondering, too, along the same lines, is this pick, I mean, is it going to be opposite of, of what we're hoping it is? Is this pick going to be known as the Ridgewood reserve, you know, that they took off the shelves. And now if you can find this bottle for sale with this sticker, it's worth some astronomical price. And then that makes groups want to push the envelope that Eric was talking about even more so that they can have something, you know, sell one bottle. And, you know, you, you make up everything you paid for, for the pick. And it's like, I mean, that, that's what I'm concerned about that, that people rally behind this, and it's cool to have that bottle.
0: I think you're exactly right on that, Brian and Kenny. I'll push it back to you because I I have not been on the Facebook secondary groups and in, in, in a bit. Uh, but is that a when those stickers are there and the wax is there, is that commanding more more uh, more bids and more uh, a higher price?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's dipped in hot pink wax, or it has something. It, it should be something where all of a sudden. You know, Bengals fan, like they just put a sticker of Joe Burrow on there. And all of a sudden, anybody that's a Bengals fan wants the damn bottle. It's not because the whiskey's any good. It's because it has a picture of Joe Burrow on it. Those are just the kind of things that you typically see that people are, are trying to scoop up. Not because it's the whiskey. Not because it's who picked it. It's because of the damn sticker.
4: But I also, you know, we do stickers with our club too. But one of the best stickers we've ever done, one of the funniest ones, was on a brand that nobody really wanted and it didn't sell the bottle at all so you know there's cases i guess both ways which would totally surprise us you know with that pick this we just absolutely love the sticker but the bottles just sat interesting
1: interesting so i guess um you know another way to kind of look at this and and start thinking about where this is going i mean do you all think that you know not only could it be the end of it but could we see a slight decline? Could we see people start staring away from it only because we look at Four Roses. Four Roses has implemented a what, no tampering or what do they call it? No defacing policy. I forget what, exactly what it's called. Uh, but it it sounds it sounds very harsh the way that they said that. Do you think that you're going to see more distilleries jump on board and they're going to be like, listen, we just don't want you all to do any of this. And if we find it, then you're out from getting picks, and I know that
3: Four Roses has implemented that already, and they've they've ousted people already. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, if you're a brand, what what do you what do you have to gain from these stickers and whatnot? I I still think they should be involved. I mean, I, there, there's you know these barrel picks for folks are like Super Bowl events. You know, it's like it's like a it's a pinnacle in the the whiskey journey. You know, to get to go do a. A barrel pick and you want to do something that you can remember it by than just like a little medallion and two there's a lot of charities that do barrel picks and you know do stickers raise good money or for like in memory of people you know that that have been you know passed away and whatnot and so I, i'd just be curious if you're a brand you know it, I, I just don't know what you have to there's just so much out of your control it's like once you i guess you know, like Pinhook, for instance, got negative publicity for a bit. New Rift did for a bit. But I bet a lot of people probably never heard of Pinhook or New Rift, you know, before that. And so it's like, you know, what yeah, do you maybe have if to you're a, If you're a small guy,
1: it probably helps. But if you're already a big established brand, maybe it does hurt it. And you can you can yeah. put those rules into place because if you're a small brand – I mean, Ryan, if, if somebody just started if, – if the whole reason people wanted our brand was to put funny stickers on them and all of a sudden it started blowing up, would be, would be going, ah, this isn't such a bad thing after all.
3: Yeah. I mean, and then you have a brand like Rare Character who, you know, basically builds their whole line on, you know, customization, doing stickers for your own bottles and stuff. And so uh, it's like, I think they have, uh, you know, they kind of have leveraged the the sticker game, you know, to kind of help grow their brand. Um, so.
2: Uh, I didn't think about that one before, but Rare Character kind of leveraged the whole sticker waxing culture and, you know, it seems like they've they've blown up a bit where I think people do want that customization. So maybe it won't go away. It'll just be people using that to their advantage and saying like, look, if you want more fun, cool stuff, w- we're here for it.
0: You know, it's funny. Like, I just realized that, you know, the, the Pinhook, uh, the owners of Pinhook, their connection in the horse racing game, that probably went a long way for Baffert being you know so contested about this but I, i'll say you know brands better be very careful about how they handle this because we have seen as consumers we've seen prices go up we've seen allocations get more difficult it's harder to get barrels and i just don't think you want to go and like slap people on the wrist or or dictate to them that they can't do stickers i i i mean i've never done them but i don't see why we shouldn't do it just because there's been a few bad eggs. And if you want to, if you want to say we have the right to approve the sticker, okay, fine. You're still allowing it, but there's ways to do this other than banning them. And I know Beryl has came out and said things like, uh, we are afraid of it, violating our TTB, you know, label code, you know, that's factual. That's true. But once it gets outside of their facilities, I don't see why anybody w- would care, as long as as long as everything has been inspected after it went out to the retailers, and then the acquisition of the sticker happened outside of the retail store. And you know, I don't see why anyone would care. Uh, I just think distillers got to be careful because more and more people are just getting fed up with bourbon, the whole bourbon craze, and they're tired of the hunt. And I just think that. This is not another thing that we need to say no to, you know, in the bourbon, in the bourbon world.
1: It's a good idea. And by the way, before we move on to the next subject, I also feel that we should compliment somebody like Old Elk. I know a lot of us actually went out to Old Elk and they actually have a poster that shows all the stickers that have ever been created for like an Old Elk bottle. So they're embracing the sticker game over there. So I thought that was a, a different take on to it as well.
3: And then they also had a box of letters of cease and desist right next to it. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. Don't put John Deere tractors in there or something like that.
1: No, I'm kidding. Yeah. All right, so let's let's move on here a little bit, and and this is because you know we look at every single year, there are going to be some acquisitions that happen. And they're going to take place. And I would say this last few years or last year, we've already seen a few happen. So Heaven Hill, they acquired Samson & Surrey, and that came with The Few, as well as Widow Jane. Pritzker acquired Bardstown Bourbon Company, which also gave a cash infusion to acquire Green River. an Old Smoky Distillery in Gatlinburg, Tennessee was acquired by Apex Partners. And last year, back in 2021, MGP bought Luxco. However, all of these are completely different types of acquisitions and goals. So... We'll think about it in a few different angles here. So in terms of being a distiller, a brand, or a family of brands, what do you think makes a good acquisition target? Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And you can get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So in terms of being a distiller, a brand, or a family of brands, what do you think makes a good acquisition target? Because all these, we can we can break them down. Like the Heaven and Hill thing, that was probably all because of their tequila line. Pritzker, Bartstown needed a cash infusion. They acquired Green River because it's, of course, more distilling capacity. So we'll, we'll kind of just take it from there.
0: So historically, when you look at when you look at an acquisition, a, a really good, a really good large acquisition to study is when Beam bought National Distillers in uh, 1987. They uh, they basically just took the brands and then kind of set them off to the side and used their whiskey for, for, for Beam and a lot of the stuff that they would do down the road. That's why Old Crow would falter. They would, um, you know, Old Granddad would just kind of be hovering there. Uh, in fact, it, this is such a common trend in the uh, historically in whiskey that when Maker's Mark was up for sale in 1981, that uh, when they were in talks with uh, Old Fitzgerald, they thought that they were just going to take the stocks of uh, Maker's Mark and get rid of the brand or, or put it down on the bottom shelf and use their stocks for Old Fitzgerald. So that's why they sold to Hiram Walker versus... Um, Old Fitzgerald who basically made the same made the same offer of 15 million dollars back in 1981
4: 1982
0: and you know today it it's not the same but it is it is still the kind of complementary acquisition you're still seeing you're still seeing um, companies go after brands to that complement their portfolio and Pernod Ricard has been looking for an anchor you know in the american whiskey category you know for some time you know they've got rabbit hole they've got uh you know smooth ambler and they've got jeffersons which has kind of become their their anchor brand so y- y- it's going to be interesting to see what a lot of these companies do because you're seeing these brands that do not have the stocks coming out with blend of straights versus straight bourbon so i really do think you're going to see preneau ricard come out and buy buy a distillery with a lot of stock. I think the next one, the next acquisition that we see, it's going to be someone going after someone who has the whiskey And uh, in terms of the large acquisition because there's so many parent companies that just don't have the whiskey to put out in all their brands.
2: Yeah, I'd actually take the counter argument to that where I, I, I think while there are a lot of, Big companies like that 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 do um you know, they just don't have the stocks. I think there are far less smaller companies that do have stocks or or other companies that do have stocks that don't have the branding. But I think what we'll see is more of like a uh, you know, somebody like uh, maybe it's MGP or somebody who has stocks, but they need the brand. They need the label, they need the popularity. You know, we've talked a lot before about you know why does an MGP just go buy Smoke Wagon? Why don't why don't they just go buy like the National Barrel Company, whoever it may be? Where if they got that brand established, they could really increase it, blow it up, and and take it more national and international. Um, I I think all of those will actually be a little less likely than outside capital. So it won't be as much of the constellation, Pernod cards. I think we'll see more of like the Pritzkers and just you know whether it's a family fund or a true, uh, you know, venture capital, whatever it may be. I think we're going to see a lot more of that uh, in the acquisitions over the next five to seven years than anything else. But that's just more of a hunch because I feel like a lot of the major brands that we think of, they've got their lineup set. And so it'll be more of people trying to get into the bourbon and whiskey game, if I had to guess.
1: So Blake, so you think it's going to be more along the lines of, of looking for the stocks and like who has the capacity versus who has the, the brand recognition?
2: No, I, I think it's who has the brand recognition, recognition. So, you you know, I think there's plenty of people who are either sitting on a lot of stock or they know they can get access to it, but they may not have, you, you know, the brand recognition in the shelf space to get to whatever it may be on those barrels, you know, if, if you've got 30,000 barrels, but your brands are mediocre at best, I think that's the problem we're seeing more of right now.
1: No, that makes sense. Uh, it makes sense for, for a lot of brands, especially if they, if, if you need a more premium price point category with the same stocks that you already have, I mean, that would be the, that would be the, the, the right mood to be able to do with something like that. Uh, I'll kind of turn it over to either Brian or Eric over here. So, do you all think that it's going to be something where it, how, how important is a brand to actually be a part of an acquisition target versus, I mean, cause you look at like something like old Smoky like that is a, that is a big brand, but they're also a very, very large national brand or like probably the biggest in regards of tourism uh, around there as well versus something when you look at uh, a Pritzker with uh, you know, Bartstown and Green River, I mean, that's, that's just production capacity. They, they look at, what's going to happen, you know, years down the line, that's money in the pocket now versus basically just having a brand to rely on.
4: I think it's definitely, and I I can see Fred and Blake's both points, you know, and I I think so much of it has to do with capacity right now is just everyone is trying to ramp up as fast as possible for this, I don't know, bigger uh, bourbon boom that's coming. I don't know. But, you know, at, at some point, Brands are important, and so see that we mentioned Smoke Wagon. Like that is a strong, well-known brand that you know a bigger company could buy and then kind of leverage and like, all right, what are we going to do with this Smoke Wagon brand? And but we have the name, and expand it from there. But you know, going back to the capacity, it's there's so many craft distilleries out right now. Why aren't all of them getting bought up? So it's the ones that are getting bought up are typically the capacity ones or. You know, the Blake's Point brand recognition or maybe somebody buys barrel for their knowledge of blending, you know, something like that.
1: Well, I mean, I guess that's another kind of question we think about is we, we all have fatigue a little bit. I mean, it seems like there's a new brand, there's a new label on the market every two weeks and our brands just a dime a dozen. That it doesn't really matter to go and find the brand. I mean, we all know, we all know Smoke Wagon, we all know Blue Run, we all know some of these other barrel. Of course, we all know some of these ones that uh, have a nationally recognized name, but are still independent. I mean, is it one of those things that are they getting so so big, at so small that they're becoming, you know, past the value that they could be acquired because they would just be too much.
5: Well, if if I'm MGP, I want to keep those as purchasing from me. I'm not going to buy them as a brand. They're more valuable to me as long as they don't build their own damn distillery. As long as they're beholden to me, I want to keep selling to them. That's my better business model. So I think what makes something attractive Mm -hmm. is someone who wants to get into Kentucky like MGP did with with Luxco, or you're going to have equity funds come in and start looking at some of the smaller distilleries in Kentucky because they need a foothold in Kentucky if they're going to grow. And then they'll take something you know, like Neely and you know quadruple the size of it. Uh, but they, they need that kind of foothold. So they're going to be looking for brands that maybe don't have a succession plan or you know the next generation of the family is not as into it as the founder thought they were, so might as well sell now. They're going to be looking for those kind of specific issues. Uh, to to find an acquisition target. But I think it's all about finding something in Kentucky that's got a still and that you can go visit because tourism is going to be the key.
2: Maybe, maybe you don't need a still.
3: Yeah, just a downtown location on 7th Street um, in Maine. Okay, no, <laughs> But uh, no, I totally agree. I, I think that or having a distillery in Tennessee too gives you you know leverage. I think Tennessee whiskey is really... You know, creating a name for itself and it's now recognized as quality. There's a lot of good stuff being made down there, and you know the the tour. You know, as the damn moonshine thing. I mean, hell, that I, I was down there in Knoxville, and they were telling me like in like the Knoxville area alone, they sell like. A hundred thousand cases of moonshine a year and I'm like, What the hell? You know, it's Nobody's like drinking that much moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all these tourists going to Gatlinburg and the mountain towns and you know, they love that shit. But uh
0: As a as a regular on the show moonshiners, I will tell you that that is a culture that is way different than what we're in. And they get so many visitors. It's <laughs> insane.
3: Yeah. And so I think have I think having a facility is more important than ever and you can figure the brands out. I mean I mean Smoke Wagon's a great brand, but I mean it's still peanuts compared to the, the 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 major brands that people know. And you know, a big distillery can if you have the whiskey and quality whiskey, you could build a brand around it, I think, eventually. Um with enough money and enough people, you know, a story or somebody behind it. I, I think you just need someone with you know, a DSP and capacity or just a location that you can build off on, you know, build within its existing infrastructure and they have land or this and that set up to, you know, to, to grow it. But I think, yeah, that with the tourism side, Kentucky and Tennessee distilleries are still there. I think investors are still going to run here for the next probably 10 years or so.
0: There's no end in sight for people wanting to get in the game, you know? Um, and the, the, the people coming in trying to, you know, start new brands and make it happen. I just, I just think that, you know, you brought up this great point, Kenny, of we're fatigued. I mean, every day I get a press release about somebody coming out with a new brand or their new line extension. and It just, there's so many brands. There's so much coming out. It's, it's almost like it's becoming like flavored vodka between 2004 and 10. It's, crazy right now and those the the next acquisition i i really do the brands are important but like you you're seeing all of this like people trying to create new styles new finishes we're the first to do that we're the first to do this you're seeing all of this effort but you know they're the majority of the whiskey is being held by a couple brokers and and the large distillers. Um, I just think that, you know, if, if Pernod Ricard's going to be in the game and, and do this right, they either need to go and uh, pony up the money for Wild Turkey or get Four Roses or uh, or maybe an argument for Peerless, you know, someone like that. But, like, um, you know, this the next 20 years is American Whiskey's time. It's not like that company can't afford it. So I... I when we look at the acquisitions, I think Pernod Ricard, and I've said this two years in a row, I think Pernod Ricard is the is the one to really is really gonna make the next move. And I think it's one of those three distilleries I just mentioned. And yes, I do believe that wild turkey could be bought. I think someone could buy them uh from Campari.
1: All right. So those are those are some hot takes, but here's the here's the thing that I look at, and I look at it from a from a tech acquisition standpoint. So, and run a tech acquisition and everything that you just mentioned, those are very, very large acquisitions. Like you got to have some deep pockets, to be able to buy that amount of stock in regards of stock of the actual inventory, buildings, people, national brand recognition. I mean, all that is, that is a, that is a major cash infusion and that's something that Typically, when you go through and you make something that big, it's like, okay, now i got to go through and I've got to cut out duplicates in HR and IT in finance and all this other kind of stuff from a, just a standard standard workforce uh, kind of task thing. But what about looking at it from a startup capability to say, okay, here here's a, and I think of the tech side, like here's a here's a tech company that's doing something very unique that we could leverage, but they're still young enough that they don't have really a big footprint so we could buy them quickly and get them off the ground. that's the same thing that could happen in the whiskey world to say here here's some young brands that are building themselves up and we can get them in cheap now and then also you know lock them into an x amount of year contract that they're working with the brand and they're doing this and so on and so forth so do we anticipate that the trend is going to be these massive large acquisitions or is there a potential where you see smaller brands get scooped up and instead of you know leveraging the farm on buying a wild turkey you buy 30 other small brands.
0: That was a move a few years ago. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, think of high West and think of some other H- things.
0: high West, uh, um, and, and high West still went for a lot, but I, I, I think that the, 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 small brands that have showed and we're going to get acquired have that's happened. They're either going to grow to that next level, uh, or they're going to falter out or they're going to maintain where they are. But I, I, I just, i keep going to this but i i think it's big
3: see where your head's at kenny and it makes sense because you you know you can basically just plug in you know xyz brand into your existing infrastructure and really you know get the their cost of goods down to where they can be extremely profitable because a lot of startups you know costs are insanely high whereas a established distillery has you know really economies of scale that can, that can really help catapult a, an existing brand. But I just think there, there's so much demand for whiskey production, not just for bourbon. I think overseas in Australia and going to be in India and Asia, I think there's just going to be so much contract and distilling and so much stuff that we're never even going to know about and see about that. Uh, that that you just need production capability to say, i'm giving you kentucky bourbon or tennessee bourbon for you know xyz market you know and it's just i think that's what the play is um for the next for for big brand for for these big acquisitions is capacity and production guys in the bottom row feel like yeah
5: capacity that's that points back to turkey i mean the size of that damn still you know that's that can fund a lot of expansion in uh in asia
2: Yeah, I think that's, that is a a really good point because we don't even think about, you know, the, the, one of the fastest growing categories we have right now are canned cocktails that are spirits based and a lot of those use whiskey. So you're not throwing six, eight year whiskey into a canned cocktail, you're throwing two year old. And so if a lot of two year olds going into these canned cocktails, well, that means it's not aging on. So, but that was kind of the secondary question. I, I think it'll still be the, the big splashes that we get. I don't think somebody's going to come in and buy up, you know, twelve to fifteen smaller regional brands. I, I think it'll still be the big names that we see out there. But um, that's just kind of the name of the game in the M and A market in general.
4: And I think anyone that's throwing around that kind of money you know, they want an immediate impact. So are they going to buy five to 10 craft distilleries and be like, all right, in 10 years, man, this stuff's going to be fantastic. You know, like I think they, they want it to spend their money and get that impact.
1: Yeah, you're right. Because you, you I, Fred brought it up earlier. Like Woodenville's is a, a great example of that uh, and seeing how, you know, LVMH kind of came in there and, and they bought that brand before it was really anything big before they even had a, really good national presence. And that was one of those things that, you know, they got in early, they probably got it for a a good price and they were able to, you know, infuse some cash into it, increase their capacity, increase everything and be able to make it into a a national brand. But that is, that's a heavier lift to be able to try to make that happen 30 times over. Versus buying it just one time, and they have the infrastructure, as Ryan said, they have everything ready to go uh, instead of sitting there trying to say, how do we how do we take this from ten barrels a day to a hundred barrels a day?
0: I, I think I think what you'll see uh, with a lot of those smaller brands, the advantageous moves in the space will not be coming from the larger companies. It'll be coming from like the middle tier that are known in other categories. Like there's a, there's a, uh, here's a couple brands, Altamore, Altimore Brands, which is an importer that brings in Armagnac and, uh, they imports Foursquare rum. You know, if, if they could get an American whiskey skew, they would, they would be, they would do well with it and they would add it to their portfolio. Spyro Bomb, which is, uh, the importer on American record for, uh, for the Martinique, most of the Martinique rums. Uh, as well as uh, the Saint Lucian rums, you know they don't have an American whiskey, and I, I think that the growth will for these smaller brands for acquisitions will not come from the big companies we know. I think that that has been exhausted. I think you'll see you'll see middle tier companies that a lot of people don't really know about uh, come in and and buy buy stuff like uh Mason Ferron which owns a uh, plantation rum they they would be a really good company to come in and and buy you know a, a distillery like i don't know Kentucky Peerless or you know a small one like 291 in Colorado something like that those kinds of companies i think could be what would come in to ex- you know uh, diversify their portfolio to get a little a little bit of the market share of the American whiskey market, where they own they own other markets, but they don't own, they don't even have a player in American whiskey. I think you might see that for the smaller players, but I I think the next for the companies that we know well, it's Four Roses, it's Wild Turkey, it's a spinoff from Sazerac or Heaven Hill, uh, a spinoff I mean a brand and the stocks to go with it. I just there's a lot of lot of lot of chessboard out here right now in American whiskey. And I have no idea who's going to make that next move, but I have a sneaky suspicion that it's going to be in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky.
1: Well, I, I kind of like what drifting dram said here in the chat, maybe wilderness trail. Cause that's actually, it's actually not a bad one knowing they yeah. filling capacity, brand recognition, all
5: that. It's, it's all good. I mean, it's, they're, they're fantastic there. They've got the stocks, they've got the know-how.
1: There we go. Maybe we just called it. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what the rest of 2022 has in store for us, but that'll do it for this week's round table. So fellows, I want to say thank you so much for coming on. I think we had some good topics, hit a, hit a few good things here, all about stickers and acquisitions, two big kind of topics that us bourbon nerds really like to, like to get into. But before we head on out, we'll let you all do one more quick outro. And Eric, we'll start with you down here at the bottom right of my screen.
4: All right. Thanks, guys. Um glad to be on again. It's been a long time. Uh, for the rest of you guys, if you haven't uh, heard of Breaking Bourbon, you can follow us at uh reviews and release calendar, and uh, we have a barrel clip, too. And um, on all the socials, the usual places at Breaking Bourbon. Oh, well, it's good to see you, Eric. Let's make sure it's not thanks. another two years before you come back on yeah, again. I, I think it'll all come back, if I'm allowed. <laughs> you
2: know. You know, I just want to know what happened with Jordan and Nick. Like, are they just, are they both sick? Is this a, uh, I didn't get the full (laughs) story because I was having audio issues. So I'm just happy to see Eric
1: today.
4: All right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Blake. There he goes.
1: (laughs) Stab me in the front, not the back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, here, Brian, you go ahead. Wrap it up for us. Yeah. So Brian
5: was sipping corn. Find me at sipping corn and bourbon justice. And I, I tell you, seeing Eric this last Weekend. That's the reason he's here. Um, yeah. <laughs> we we showed him Louisville. We showed him that that barrel pick. Shit, we hit must have hit six or seven distilleries, and they were all quick. But you know, it mm-hmm. was it was a fun time. Good to have you here, Eric, and and great to have you on the round table. Thanks, Brian, and
2: uh, Blake. Go ahead. Man, well, I feel like I'm uh, gonna say something nice about Eric too, basically. <laughs>
1: <'Cause I gave laughs> Everybody give Eric a compliment, so make sure he feels <laughs>
2: just give that give that little confidence booster going. Yeah, yeah exactly. But no, Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox, always fun. I'll be back next month with a better mic and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, have all those issues resolved. But always glad to be here, Kenny, Fred, Ryan. Thanks for having me, and uh, enjoyed it.
1: For sure, for sure. Uh, as always, this was a, a, a great time. I'm so glad that we had a little bit over 100 people on this one on a Sunday night as we're recording this. I know it's not our typical Monday, but... I mean,
0: we're going up against Game of Thrones. We're going up against Sunday night football. I mean, that's great.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I'm just glad that there's a bunch of bourbon geeks out here like us that can say, you know what? The Bills can wait just another hour, and we'll, we'll catch the replay in a little bit. They've already played, Kenny.
4: Yeah, <laughs> well...
1: Different it's well, I don't know. I, I came down here started drinking two hours ago, so you tell me. <laughs> all right. Well, that'll do it. So make sure you check out all these guys at all their socials. Make sure you check out Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcast, If you do like the show, if you like what we're doing, I know Breaking Bourbon's got a barrel picking club, but so do we at bourbonpursuit.com. You can go check out the barrel picking club link. We all, we all have good friends that we're all picking, for, uh, picking barrels from. And every once in a while, we actually do a collaboration, which will be available on Sealbox here relatively soon for another Old Elk, won't it?
2: Yes. Uh, I guess we needed to talk about that. I sent that out. But uh, yeah, so maybe this next week or so.
1: There we go. There so yeah. we've got another another old elk in the bag here.
2: And it's a good one too. It's it it's the uh I think we've got the cognac we picked and then um, oh, what I nice. what I'm calling uh Kenny, Ryan, and Blake's uh plane delay, which was that nine year <laughs> <laughs> that that they're like, uh, just I don't know, go taste some barrels while we wait to take you to the airport. We're like, uh oh, well we found a winner. So um yeah, that's a one really in good there. one as well.
1: Yeah. Was it really nine years? Yeah. yeah it was there. Yeah, no, we just started, week, remember week, we started week,
2: looking yeah. at uh, uh barrel heads and we're like, this whole lot's nine years old. Let's drill into these. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I couldn't remember how old it was. I, I do remember we were just walking through just reading lot codes and seeing a, yeah. a very low number going, I think we should probably see what these ones are all about.
2: <laughs> I don't know if they love that idea as much as we did, but uh yeah, no, it's, It was nine years
1: old. Don't give us a drill and say, have fun in the warehouse. I think that'll teach you a lesson. Life
2: lessons.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, that'll do it for this week, everybody. I want to say thank you again for tuning in. Make sure you get and follow all these guys. Follow us. But we'll be back again here in four weeks with another roundtable. Until then, cheers, everybody. We'll see you next time. Pocket sucks. Toodles.